Good morning, everybody. Check, there we go. Good morning, everybody. There are a lot of words we could use to summarize 2020. You know, we talked a little bit about that last week. Some of them are, you know, not real encouraging words. But if I could pick one word that really kind of speaks to this year, it might be protest. There have been a lot of protests this year. And the right to peaceful protest is really important. That's why it's protected by the First Amendment of the Constitution. It matters. But just because the right to protest is important does not mean that every protest in and of itself is important. For example, this guy. Stop premature Christmas decorating. This is his protest. This is the issue that burns deep within him. Now, I get it. Every year, Christmas creeps a little closer to the beginning and beginning of November. You know, it gets earlier and earlier, and that is mildly annoying. But this guy is at like a whole other level of petty. And I don't know if you can see it, but there's another guy in the background with a sign also. It's got a Christmas tree with like the circle and the slash through it. So this isn't just one guy and his protest. This, can we call two guys a movement? Is that big enough to be called a move? This is a protest. This is the issue that just grieves him so much. Here's another example of a protest. may not be worthwhile. Ban Candy Crush invites. Yes, amen. Thank you. I, it, it is annoying. You're on your phone. You're trying to check your email or something, and you find that your inbox has been inundated with invitations from your friends, or even worse, from people that you haven't spoken to in 10 years, inviting you to come and play this new mobile game on your phone, your tablet, or your device. It is really annoying. And it's so sad, too, because, you know, this is the last stopgap before those people start spending actual money on these games and the candy starts crushing them instead. This is the issue that really grieves him, and I almost can get behind this one. Protests. Not every protest is important, but the right to protest is important because there are some truly unjust, unfair things in our world. I don't think this is news to you when I say the world is an unfair place at times. And we all experience this to some extent or some degree. The the things that tend to jump to our minds when we talk about how unfair the world is, you know, sometimes we have people that uh, are, you know, live long, healthy lives without any real serious health concerns. And other times we have people relatively young in life that contract very life-threatening conditions or illnesses. That's not fair. Sometimes we have people that are born into means and have opportunity just given to them almost from the cradle, and then we have other people that are born into debilitating poverty. That's not fair. Some people are born into families that love and that nurture and that care. Some people are born into families that are abusive or that are hurtful and harmful in some way. That's not fair. None of these people have done anything to deserve those situations. Sometimes life is just unfair, right? And like I said, we've all experienced this to some degree, sometimes great, sometimes small. And if you haven't, rest assured, you will. Your turn is coming. You will taste the bitter pill that is this unfair world. Super chipper sermon this morning, right? Can we all agree on that? I know, it's Christmas time. We're supposed to be talking about baby Jesus and all the Christmas stuff, and we're supposed to get those warm, fuzzy feelings inside, and we will. But in order to really appreciate the difference that Jesus and all this Christmas stuff makes, we have to remember the kind of world we live in. It is unjust, and it is unfair. I don't think anybody would argue otherwise. And it's in this realization, in this unfair world, where we need a joy. 
not just a happiness, but a joy that just won't stop, that's too stubborn to bend its knee and is too audacious to disappear just because the world seems unfair. And that's the kind of joy we're talking about in this series we started last week. It's called The Audacity of Joy, and we're talking about how we can find that joy that won't stop even in a world that would seriously just love our joy to be diminished. How do we find that? We're looking at the Christmas story, and actually we were looking at the songs that people sing in the Christmas story in the book of Luke, and today's song comes from a man named Zechariah. It's not a passage maybe we read as often during the Christmas story, but it's found in the book of Luke chapter 1, so if you have your Bible with you, why don't you open that up to Luke chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can follow along on the screens to the side, or download the FCC Monmouth app to your mobile device. Click the Sunday button in the bottom right-hand corner, and you'll find a tool called Sermon Notes. It's got our notes and our passages pulled up, ready for you to use this morning. So, Zechariah. As we look at his song, you're going to notice that his is a song of joy amidst a world of injustice. He sings for joy despite the unjust, unfair nature of his circumstances. Now, Zechariah is a man. He's a Jew living in the first century in, in Israel. Very faithful man. He and his wife are both very devout. They have no children. They're long in years, and so it looks like that door is closed. But one day, Zechariah being a priest, he was serving in the temple. He was offering incense on the altar, and an angel appears to him. So Zechariah, good news. You and your wife are going to have a son. You're going to name him John. He's going to grow up to be John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, if you're not familiar, he was the guy that went out and prepared the hearts of the people for the teachings of Jesus. He had a very important job and a very important role to play in God's plan. So this is all great news. Now, not surprisingly, when John is born, Zechariah is overjoyed, and he sings the song that we're going to read in just a moment, which makes sense, right? I mean, when my kids were born, I was overjoyed. I wasn't singing in the delivery room, but I was happy. You probably, similar situation. And so Zechariah is getting ready to sing this song, but in order to really appreciate the significance and the joy in it, we have to understand the unfair, unjust nature of Zechariah's world. He lived in Israel in the first century, which was not a good time for these people. They, uh, a few centuries prior, had become entangled with the Roman Empire, kind of the world's superpower at the time. And the man that was ruling over the region was named Herod the Great. By the way, the people did not give him that name. They did not think he was that great. He was actually a really difficult, arrogant, power-hungry man that would do whatever he had to to stay ingratiated to the Romans, even if it made his people really, really angry. Not a real great guy. Now, to his credit, he was a fantastic builder and architect. He built some phenomenal and world-renowned things in Israel during this time. He built cities. He built a, a wonderful harbor in the city of Caesarea. He started building a great temple in, uh, in Jerusalem. Just world-renowned stuff. But all of this construction costs money, right? And that money had to come from somewhere. He wasn't going to pay for it. It came from the Jewish people. You see, he levied some steep taxes on these people, and that's coming from somebody who lives in Illinois, so you know it's bad, right? Like, it was a crushing level of taxation. The overwhelming majority of people live below what was called the bread line, or what we might call the poverty line today overwhelming majority of people. So financially, it was a very frustrating time. People worked very hard and had very little to show for it. Kind of unfair. 
But these construction projects, they really, they, they, they were more significant than just a, a tax burden. They really brought cultural challenges to Israel too. Because Herod loved the Romans so much, he built these cities according to Roman standards and expectations, which meant that there were things like gymnasiums and sports complexes in these cities, which sounds fine until you remember that in the first century, everybody competed and trained in the nude. That's just what they did. They didn't want anything holding them back. And public nudity was incredibly offensive to the Jewish people. And so if you could imagine the city of Monmouth taking your taxes, maybe even raising your taxes so they could build a strip club in the middle of town, you would probably be a little upset, right? That's how the Jews felt. Their taxes paid for this stuff. So these construction projects were just a huge burden and source of frustration. Probably the biggest slap in the face, though, was centuries before this, about 200 years, 150 years before, the Jewish ancestors had fought and bled, and many of them died in battles to gain some independence in Israel. And all that was flushed down the toilet the minute the Romans came into town. And Herod, he just loves the Romans. He does everything he can to appease them and cater to them. And it was just a big slap in the face to their ancestors and their heritage. It just, just wasn't a good time. And there's nothing anybody could do about it. Because if you even thought about crossing Herod, he'd just kill you. This was a guy that, that assassinated some of his sons. He executed his own wife. He's not going to bat an eye at killing somebody who is a critic of his. This is just kind of an unfair place, and it created this financial frustration, this religious and social and cultural frustration. It was just sort of this cloud that hung over Israel at this time. It was very unfair. And so here is Zechariah living in this unfair world, and his son is born. And he sings this song of joy. This comes from the book of Luke, chapter 1, verse 67. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Now, even if you don't follow everything that was said there, you probably picked up on some themes. There's, he's going to save us. He's redeemed us. He's going to rescue us from the hands of our enemies. This is a song of joy. Zechariah looks at the birth of his son and he starts singing this basically in summation. God has a plan and we're starting to see it unfold. It's a plan that was spoken of long ago. It's a plan that was predicted by the prophets. It's a plan of sending somebody strong and courageous to Israel to protect us, God's people, so that we can finally worship him faithfully and without fear. It's a wonderful plan. Here's the thing. Zechariah is not actually singing about his son, John. There's another section of this song that talks about John. We'll read a little bit of that later. This section of the song is about Jesus. He recognizes that in this coming child that his son John is going to pronounce and come before, in this, son, or in this, this boy Jesus, God is going to do something incredible. He's going to rescue the people. He's going to fight off their enemies. He's going to redeem them. There is hope and there is joy despite the unfair, unjust circumstances of his world because of this little baby. 
And when we dig into this song, we start to tease out exactly what he's saying and and looking at, at the different theological themes in the song, we start to see why he has so much joy, even in an unfair, unjust world. One important lesson that we can grab onto and really hold onto in our day and age is how this song reminds us that God's plan is unfolding to overcome injustice. God's plan is an unfolding plan to overcome injustice. And really the key word there is unfolding. A lot of times when we experience the unfair stuff of this world, we want solutions now. We want God to fix that thing. Many times that's what we pray. God, will you fix this unfair thing? Will you fix this unjust thing, this this circumstance? Like my friend's business is really struggling because he can't make money, because he can't keep it open because of these COVID things. That's not fair. Will you you fix this? Or there's a lot of unfair stuff we pray about. We want solutions now. It's kind of like, if you want to think for a moment, let's talk about something unfair. A lot of states right now have mask mandates. It's mandatory. Everybody wear a mask in public, and there are oftentimes fines associated with these if you violate them, which is fine. That's their prerogative to do. But I'm sure we've all seen on the news stories of public officials, many of whom are responsible for instituting these mandates, are out in public without masks and so on, violating their own rules. That's not fair, regardless of how you feel about masks or mandates. That's just a little hypocritical especially when you know that those officials are not going to be subject to the same fines that you or I would be if we were out violating that mandate. It's just not fair. And we might look at a situation like that and we might think, you know, if if we could just come up with a solution to the immediate problem, if everybody paid the same fine, or if we got rid of mask mandates or whatever, then that would just solve the unfairness. But there's this bigger issue behind the scenes that those immediate circumstances really don't touch. It's this bigger issue of this global virus that we really still don't know a whole lot about that affects a certain segment of the population in very severe ways. That bigger problem is not going to be touched by mask mandates or by everybody paying the same fine. It's really the root underlying issue that's responsible for all these other problems. They're just kind of symptoms. And so we need a more comprehensive plan to deal with that bigger problem, something that's going to really touch the main issue. And those those kinds of plans that are comprehensive and big, they tend to take a long time to develop and to, to expand and to unfold, right? It just takes a long time to do big things. And that's what I mean when I say God's plan is unfolding in this world. A lot of times we look at the immediate unfairness or the immediate injustices and we say, that's the problem, we want that fixed. When really, there's a much bigger, much more serious root cause to all of this stuff. And we'll talk about what that is in just a little bit. And God's plan so much isn't dealing with the immediate little things that we see happening right in front of our face. His plan is really more of a comprehensive plan that deals with the root cause responsible for all this junk. It is a plan that is large and that is expansive, and and those kinds of plans tend to take time to unfold, right? And that's what Zechariah sings about in this song, specifically in verses 72 and 73. He's singing, he says, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. Zechariah is talking about Old Testament stuff. And it's this reminder that when Jesus came into the world, This wasn't like a whole new thing that God came up with at the spur of the moment. 
And this wasn't a, a plan B, and God wasn't just throwing stuff against the wall to see what would stick. That Christ coming into the world was really part of God's really big plan that started way back in the earliest parts of the Old Testament. You see, God spoke to a guy named Abraham way back in the book of Genesis, and he made a promise. He said, I will make you the father of many nations, and the whole world will be blessed through you. That was the beginning of this promise. And God spoke through prophets throughout the Old Testament and talked about someone he was going to send to redeem the people and to save them and to bless them and to lead them. For thousands of years, God was talking about this plan and slowly unfolding it. And when we get to Jesus and the birth of Christ, we don't see this whole new thing that God's just coming up with right here. We see the continuation of something he's been doing for a very, very long time. This really big plan unfolding to deal with the root cause of this unfair, unjust world. It's really an encouraging thing for Zechariah, and that's why he sings with joy. He looks at this coming child, and he says, look, here's the evidence that God's plan is still at work. Here's the proof that, that God knows what he's doing, that history is really going someplace. It hasn't stalled, it hasn't stopped. Everything is moving as it should, even though I live in an unfair, unjust world. That's why he has joy. God is going someplace with this. That's a really comforting thing when you have directions and you know you're heading in the right direction, right? Right? One time I was, uh, I was in Joplin, Missouri, a group of friends and I, we drove to Naples, Florida. It's 23 hours in a car. I do not recommend this. But we stopped in Memphis, Tennessee, because we needed some lunch, and my friend was a really big fan of, of music, just all kinds of music. So we ate some barbecue, and he wanted to go to Beale Street. You know, Beale Street's that famous street in Memphis. Problem was, these were the days before GPS and everybody had a smartphone and we didn't have a map, and so his plan was to just sort of wander around Memphis until we stumbled across Beale Street. Again, I do not recommend this. You guys heard that classic song, Walking in Memphis? Walking in Memphis. That guy wasn't walking in the parts of town that we wound up in, right? We wrote our own little song called Getting Stabbed in Memphis. You you don't want to do this. It just wasn't safe. And that's the danger. If you don't have a plan and you don't have some sort of direction that you're headed, you're probably not going to wind up where you want to go. And that's the comforting thing about the coming of Christ. As Zechariah looks at this, he says, God does have a plan. It is on track. It is unfolding. He's still in control. And I praise him and I have joy because my God is still sovereign. Even though this world seems unfair and unjust, he really is still at work to fix this junk. And that should be a a cause for rejoicing in us as well because you and I, we live in an unfair, unjust world. Sometimes things just hurt. It's not right, and it's not hard to see. But every year around this time, we have this reminder that Christ came into this world just like God planned. His plan didn't derail. It didn't go off the rails or off the track. It was exactly as he desired it. In a few months, we're going to celebrate Easter. It's another reminder when Christ died on the cross for our sins When God redeemed us, when Christ was raised back from the grave, that wasn't a defeat, that wasn't plan B, that was exactly as God designed it to be. We have these constant reminders that God's plan is still unfolding, even though at times the world still seems unfair. 
Because he is dealing with a bigger root cause that's responsible for this junk. And every day that the sun falls beneath the horizon is another day that brings us closer to when Christ returns. And injustice is finally defeated, where the plan of God is fully unfolded, where wrongs are set right, and the people of God can rejoice without hesitation because God has won. It's an amazing, amazing thing when you realize that our God's plan is unfolding to overcome injustice in this world. So that's one theme that this song reminds us of, one reason we can rejoice in an unfair world. Another reason we can rejoice in a second theme is kind of related. Zechariah's song reminds us that God's unfolding plan is oftentimes a lot bigger than we realize. Like I said earlier, sometimes we, wanna, we want solutions to these immediate problems, the immediate injustices or the immediately unfair things. And, and I get that because those hurt. Those are what we feel most immediately and most presently. You know, it really is unfair that some people get sick early on in life. It really is unfair that people are born into really tough situations or families that shouldn't love or that don't love them the way that they ought to or, or all these other unfair, unjust things. And with saying that, what I'm about to say, I'm in no way saying that the injustices of this world don't hurt. They do, absolutely. And I am in no way, and what I'm about to say, denying that these things are unfair. They are, absolutely. But here's what I kind of am reminded of when I look at Zechariah's song. These unfair, unjust things that we experience immediately are not the real problem. They are symptoms of a much deeper, much more dangerous issue that's happening in this world and in us as well. You see, when God sent Jesus into this world, it wasn't necessarily just to deal with these immediate short-term things. It wasn't just to provide for the poor or to feed the hungry or to heal the sick. It was to deal with something that is dangerous and destructive to all of us, something that's responsible for this junk. He came to deliver us from sin. Zechariah, he recognizes this, and you may have noticed, he sings in this song that God has come to save us from our enemies and all who hate us. He's come to redeem his people, and he sings a lot about salvation, but look at how he understands salvation a little bit later in the song. When we look at verse 76, he says, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. This salvation that God was bringing, this unfolding plan to overcome unfairness and injustice of the world, it wasn't just dealing with the immediate things that you and I experience. Like I said, it was dealing with that much more dangerous underlying issue of the human heart. Like I said, a lot of the unfair things we experience are symptoms of this issue. You take something like hunger and poverty, for instance. Completely unfair. It is not right. It is, it is unfair that people should be born into those situations. But maybe that's just a symptom of a deeper issue because there are a lot of people in this world that can justify or overlook hunger and poverty in others while they enjoy excess and abundance and comfort and luxury. It seems to me like the callousness of the human heart is a much more dangerous issue. If we could fix that then it seems like hunger and poverty could be alleviated when people learn to love each other the way they were created to. Does that make sense? Or you take something like a, an abusive household, completely unfair that people should be born into situations like that. That's not right. That hurts. 
But really, that is symptomatic of a much deeper issue. We are not supposed to be able to overlook the humanity of other people so easily. And if we could fix that part of the human heart, to me at least, it seems like issues of abuse and neglect in, in families or in communities or neighborhood or whoever, it seems like that might work itself out if we could actually love each other the way that we were designed to love each other. Are you following me here? There's a lot of unfair things, a lot of injustices in this world that are the result, not of just the world and some sort of uh, autonomous uh, thing, but really the result of a malfunction within us. God created people in his image to love the way that he loves, to care the way that he cares, to serve the way that he has served us, and yet we neglect to do that because of sin. This brokenness in our souls, this malfunction in our spirit and in our inmost being, that is a much more dangerous issue, and that is responsible for so many of the injustices and unfair things in this world. That is this deep underlying cause that is a danger to everybody in existence, and that is the big evil that God came into this world to overturn and to heal and to fix. And here's the great news of why we can have joy. He is doing it. Through the power of Jesus, hearts are being mended and the spirit is being sewn back together and we are becoming redeemed new people learning how to love the way we were always created to. Great example of this. One of our missions partners is Niños de Mexico. It's an organization in Mexico City that takes in abused and neglected children, sometimes orphaned children, gives them a home, gives them a family that loves them, that cares for them, that restores them, that teaches them how to be productive and faithful members of society. And they don't really get a whole lot out of this. They just do this to serve these children in the name of Jesus. Why do organizations like that and so many others like them exist? I'll tell you, it's not because altruistic pagan people in the ancient world said, let's start orphanages. And it's not because global governments in ancient history said, orphans are our responsibility. We should look out for them. In fact, this may be news. Most governments in the ancient world didn't care if orphans lived or died. They left them on the street. It's not our responsibility. If they live, great. If they die, that's sad. And they move on. It's a rather, rather callous world. It wasn't, and you can go look this up, it wasn't until the gospel of Jesus started spreading through this world and fixing our hearts that we started taking notice of people like the sick, like the widow, like the orphan, and saying, Jesus died for these people. That means they matter a lot. We should take care of them. And that's how the first orphanages came into existence. The hospital as we know it today came into existence because of faithful gospel-following people. The, the work of Jesus is fixing our hearts. And every time people step up and say, I will love other people the way that Jesus has loved me, the unfair, unjust things in this world start to diminish and get relegated to the sidelines. That is the plan of God, to reach into this world, to forgive sins, to fix our hearts, and in so, bring about his kingdom. And it's working, even though we live in an unfair, unjust world. Let's face it, we all experience the hardships. We've talked about that. But don't be overwhelmed by the darkness, especially this time of year, because this is the reminder. God's plan is 
unfolding just as he desires it to. God's plan through Jesus is working just as he desires it to. And slowly but surely, bit by bit, with every heart that experiences the new life found in Jesus, the kingdom of heaven comes into this world and the injustice and the unfairness shrinks a little bit more. That's something to celebrate. And that is something to have joy in. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your plan and your work. When we find ourselves in the moment of frustration and in the moment of injustice, it is difficult at times to see. And that's why we need stories like Zechariah and this song that reminds us, you are sovereign. Your goodness is still at work. You still have a plan for history. You still have a plan for this world. And it is moving forward. That plan that's found in Jesus is working and people are being changed, and people are being loved, and orphans are finding homes, and widows are finding people to care for them. The hungry are being fed. Poverty is being met with generosity. You are changing this unfair world as you change the human heart. So we praise you for your goodness and your power. We praise you for Jesus and the victory that is in him. And I pray that as we taste the bitterness of this world, we would be reminded continually of the joy we have in Christ and in the promises that he is coming to fix things once and for all someday. But until then, fix us and let us be part of the solution that you're bringing through the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.